You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of eternal life and our great relationship with you through your son, Jesus Christ. We pray for the presence and the power of Jesus uh, to strengthen your church, uh, to invite and encourage us, Lord, we look at... uh, just this morning ahead of us in the day and the week, and we just dedicate it to you. We pray now, Lord, that our lives would be one more step closer today, just in line with the way you've designed us. We give you thanks, and we're grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, North Valley. It is great being with you. For those of you that are new, I want to extend a special welcome to you. My name is Ryan. And uh, I'll be available to connect with anybody uh, that's new and just wants to say hello or those of you who regularly attend, love to connect with you over there at the Connection Corner after the service. Um, This morning is a bit different uh, for our services. Uh, We're going to be highlighting local and global mission initiatives for uh, our 2019 uh, uh, efforts. So I'm going to be talking to you about the Hope Offering every year. We do an annual offering, and it actually culminates on Christmas Eve. I don't know if you've ever been to a church on Christmas uh, and Easter. Those are generally the largest attended services of the entire uh, ministry year. Uh, At our church, North Valley, on Christmas, uh, we give 100% of our offering to help fuel local and global uh, mission initiatives. As well, we do the same thing on Easter. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to spend some time here together uh, as a different uh, program element is to be able to discuss with you kind of some of the highlights of what we've done uh, over the last few years uh, through our church. And so I want to highlight to you a number of things. We do church planting. Uh, One of the ways that we do church planting and starting new churches is we have a network called Vision Arizona, and then we we connect together. We all contribute financially together. We identified a, a, a qualified, gifted uh, young man and his wife to go out and plant a church. Most recently, uh, we uh, helped open up the doors for a brand new church plant in the Desert Ridge area. Our hope offering helps to fuel that. Um, Mission Grove is the name of the church. I've talked to you guys about that. Um, And they launched uh, just a few weeks ago with 240 people. Can you guys celebrate with me on that? That was awesome. Desert Ridge has been called the church planter's graveyard. Um, Our hope offering helps fuel uh, and fund um, um, local and global initiatives. That was a local one. We sent missionary teams to Los Angeles. If you're ever in the LA area, we have a church plant partner over there called Epiphany LA. Um, and it's a hipster church, like a, a, a in, in, in Crenshaw. Um, so, at, you know, there's, I like to say there's like four different kinds of churches. You got the hipster churches, which are usually your working singles and all that stuff. Then you have your college student churches. Those would be more down towards like Tempe um, for us in the valley. Then you have your, your young families churches and your empty nester churches. North Valley is a young family and empty nester church. Not to say we don't have college students and not to say you guys aren't that hip, but, um, we're a little different, you know? Uh, and so, um, in North Valley, we help start and strengthen all sorts of kinds of churches. 
when you give to the hope offering, what that does is it helps get the name and the fame of Jesus Christ out into the, 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 the community locally and then the world globally. And so I want to highlight to you just a number of different initiatives that we've taken on over the years. Um, we've also helped uh, start 10 new churches in Nepal. Nepal is one of the most unreached people groups of the whole world. Um, through our church planting network called Converge Worldwide, we helped start 10 new churches in the mountains of Nepal. Um, over the last few years, we as well have sent missionary teams to Guatemala. We've also sent missionary teams to the Dominican Republic. And um, we've, we're continuing to see what we can do to help start and strengthen churches, not only locally, but also globally. Um, on, a, on another level, what we've done is that we've worked uh, each and every year, what we do for the students is we understand how important it is for a church, a young family church in empty nesters too, is to be able to come alongside and make sure that each kid has an opportunity to go to summer camp. When you give towards the hope offering, what that does is it makes sure that we have scholarship money. If it's sending a mission, uh, a couple or a single to a, on a missionary trip, or if it's sending a kid to camp. This last summer, we had more than double of the number of kids go to camp than we've ever had before. And we had 40 plus kids. Many of those kids placed their faith in Jesus Christ and then were baptized. And I want to say thank you for those of you that contributed in 2018 towards the Hope Offering. That gift makes that kind of impact. So can we celebrate that just for a moment? Um, North Valley is, uh, as a church is a new church. We've been around six years, or we've been on our campus about a year and a half. Um, we've never had more kids and uh, uh, youth a part of our church than now. Um, so it's an exciting time. We're sending a high school uh, group of kids to uh, winter camp this winter. We've got summer camps that are already in planning and process. Your hope offering enables that our staff can say this to the kids. Hey, little Tommy, do you want to go to camp? Yes, I'd love to go to camp, but I don't have enough money. Okay, Tommy, what I need you to do is fill out this scholarship form and make sure that finances is not the barrier to keep you from going to camp. So whatever it takes, we as a church are going to make sure that you get to go to camp. And so as a church, what we need to understand, this is crucially important. Additionally, this also helps the Mercy Fund. So when we're out in the community or when we're within our church uh, friends and families, what we need to know, if there's a person in our church that falls behind with bills, um, they lose their job, they go through um, a health crisis of some sort, they uh, uh, notify the church, hey, we don't have enough resources to make it through what we're going through. The first thing we do is look at our hope offering and say, how much can we help to minister, to show the love of Jesus Christ. That's what our hope offering helps with that. Um, additionally, uh, what I want to do this morning is I want to highlight to you one of the, uh, a few other things, and then I want to show you a video of an initiative that we launched out. One of the most pressing needs, though, is in, in, our, in our community, um, maybe not to this church, but in our community. From the words of, of the governor, I've met with the governor in, in years past and asked, what are some of the most pressing challenges for the state of Arizona? And they said, education is a big challenge, and another big challenge is the foster care crisis. And as a church, what we've decided to do is to be able to um, be a church that supports the families within the church that are fostering or adopting and make a commitment 
to make sure we have awareness that is going on and then take steps forward, at least for the group homes, which would be, I would say, modern day orphanages of kids, maybe 10 to 12 kids in a community, in a home that were not adopted, we as a church adopt that group home. The Hope Offering has helped with that. We had a group of girls, we had about 12 different girls in this community right over here. They needed Bibles, they never had Bibles before, we got them all Bibles. During Christmas, we came around them, made sure they all had Christmas presents. During the back to school drive, you guys contributed and were very f- gracious. We made sure every girl in that house had the right clothes, the right backpacks, everything that they needed to go to school and have an awesome first day, yeah. So here's what I wanna tell you is we're only getting started. We have got to increase our commitment to share and to show the love of Jesus Christ in the years to come. Um, this whole service, you're going to find out, is really encouraging and challenging us to live like Jesus could come back anytime and we can't waste our life. We've got to invest our life. So one of the other cool things that we were able to do this last year was this thing called the Unleashed event. It was a it was a, a, an event that the Lord put on my heart years ago, probably five, six years ago, right as the church was getting started, to host a series of conferences that would help start and strengthen churches. And specifically, I felt called by, I was reading in the book of Nehemiah, and I remember the scene where Nehemiah comes forward, he recovers the scriptures, reads the scriptures, upholds the scriptures, and calls the people to look to the scriptures. And so I felt like the Lord placed it on my heart. I shared it with our staff team and we decided let's launch a conference to uphold the authority of scripture because too many people are putting the Bible down. Even the pastors and the preachers in our valley are not holding to the authority of scripture. And um, many people don't want to live under the authority of God's word. They'd rather just have it down here and they live above it. And so we said, let's do a conference. So we had this event called the Unleashed Event. We had a president of Dallas Seminary, president of Denver Seminary, president of Phoenix Seminary, all came along with a number of other pastors and talked about the importance of it. What was really cool is that we even had head theologians from the Mormon church to be a part to understand what is, what is the evangelical churches in our community uphold to? And we had this incredible event. I want to show you a highlight video of that opportunity we had and the Hope Offering helped fuel that. Most of the Bible is the story of how God shapes His people to fulfill his redemptive purpose for all peoples. You write that down and you begin to read the Bible that way, you will begin to understand and see this great big story, your place in it, and the world within which you live in a completely different way. If you are a Christian, can you embrace every perspective, yes or no? No. If you are a Christian, can you embrace every practice? No. If you are a Christian, can you embrace all people? Yes. 
Timothy 4.1, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. Men and women, if you will just stand and read publicly the Scriptures that allow God to take what you read and take it at face value and just let it be heard, the lion will get unleashed. Let's celebrate what God's doing in our church. I want to thank you uh, for those of you that have contributed in years past towards this. Uh, now what I want to do is talk to you about 2019. Um, in order for us to move forward as a church, we're going to have to increase our missionary efforts in the area of local and global outreach. I like to say at our church, a church that doesn't reach out is going to pass out. You got to have a church that reaches out. Um, when a church stops reaching out, that church is going to pass out. God wants to bless, God wants to fuel, God wants to start, God wants to strengthen churches that commit to sharing and showing the love of Jesus Christ, not just here in the community, but around the world. I believe that's why God called us here, gave us this property, gave us this regional location so that the name of Jesus could go forth from every place and corner of our community and our valley for the name and fame of Jesus Christ. One of the things that we've, we need to do this year is that we've got to mobilize more people. I'm disappointed to say we didn't have great numbers turning out to sign up for the mission trips. I'm a little embarrassed as to what's happened as a church, and it's not your fault, it's more my fault, on the mission initiatives that we've taken globally. We sent a team to Guatemala. We sent a team to uh, the Dominican Republic. We did important work, but we just had a few people. What we've got to do now is, is lower the bar for people to be able to step onto that platform and say, I will go and show the love of Jesus Christ to the world around me. So what we decided, we've decided to pray about it. God, would you send us somewhere else? Should we go somewhere closer by? And so we started to pray through the idea, would God raise up somebody in our church that we have a relationship with? What you can learn real quick at North Valley is what, what we always want to do is we work through relationships. We're a relational driven kind of church. A gentleman by the name of Steve Sutton showed up at our church with his wife, Priscilla, and he said, I've taken up, uh, on, I'm on the board of a missionary organization that gets churches mobilized to do missions in Mexico. And I said, how far of a drive is that? And he said, it's about three hours. I said, how much does it cost to send a family? He said, about 700 bucks. And I said, Guatemala, $1,500, one person. Uh, Dominican Republic, $2,500, one person. Man, we got to do that. So here's what we're doing. My wife and I are committed to go. I want to show you a video, and I'm going to invite Steve to come on up. Steve, if you'd go ahead and come on up, we're going to show the video while we do. I want to do an interview with you. And you guys welcome Steve Sutton up to the, to the stage today. Okay, so here's what we've got. You, we've got, um, you've been a part of this missionary organization. You guys are sending families, connecting families. You're going to help us move North Valley from just watching mission to going and doing mission. Tell us what you guys do down there in Mexico. Okay, it's I-68 is the name of the uh, missionary down there. And they, they build houses for the, for the very poor people. Uh, for people to go down there and see a, a third world country, it's really sad. I mean, they're, li <clears throat> they're homeless, they're living in cardboard boxes, they have nothing, and we go down there and build a house for them. So it's really neat to, to see a family be able to have a house, and they really appreciate it, and we were able to, to show the love of Jesus.
to them also. It's really cool. And so what you guys need willing workers, right? You need, you need, you need, I mean, tell us about who can come on these trips. Okay, anybody can come. We need skilled laborers for the carpentry and that kind of stuff, but we just need people. Uh, what we do is we go down on a, on a Thursday night, and uh, there's a campground there. We camp out. You can bring your own tent, or they have tents. They supply all the food. There's bathrooms and showers. Then the next day we go out, and we uh, pour a pad for the, for the house, and we frame up all the walls. That's on Friday. And then Saturday we go back, put the walls up, put the roof on the doors, the windows, uh, put one coat of stucco on it. And uh, then the third day on Sunday, we put the last coat of stucco on it. And then we have a dedication to the house. We, we go in with the people, the people that are going to live in the house, have communion with them, and, uh, pray with them. And how long have you been doing this, Steve? How long have you been building houses down in Mexico? Or maybe how many houses do you think you've been, you've built? A bunch. A bunch. <laughs> About 20 years we've been doing it. 20 years. Isn't that cool? Can we celebrate that? So we, we, we do want tradespeople, but really this is not just for those who are super muscular or just super skilled. I, I mean, anybody can go, right? And we, you have, we have families going down all the time with kids, right? Yes, it's a very good family thing. I mean, in the campground, we have, you know, good fellowship with the people. And then on the job sites, there's, there's stuff for everybody to do. Everybody can do something. Little kids, older people, everyone can get involved. Yeah. So Steve and his wife, Priscilla, are made a special plan today to be a part of the services. They're going to be available at the Connection Corner after the service. Um, Steve's better half is over there, so you're going to get to meet her after services. Yes. And then, uh, Steve, uh, what would you say is what would be a target time frame for us to go do this mission trip? This is for singles, for kids, for families, uh, skilled laborers, willing workers. When would be a good time frame for us to go do this? Uh, we actually have it set up for March 21st. March 21st. Yeah, this okay. Thursday through Sunday. Okay. And my wife and I and our kids, we're all going. You know, I mean, we live in a generation today where if a kid doesn't have a phone, they feel like they're, they're, they're just being left out. And they, they need more. And so this is a trip, an opportunity, I think, for us to kind of reprogram, reconnect with just the world around us. And uh, as a country, we live in the, one of the wealthiest countries in the world and to go down there and to show the love of Jesus Christ is life-changing. So, anything else you want to add? It, it just that it's a very, um, it's a blessing to us. Anybody that goes down there and sees how they live and what we have, it, it's really good for the kids especially. They have everything they need and more. And the kids down there have nothing. So they can see how they're blessed. Yeah. And another thing that this organization does is, is they follow up after they build the house they walk alongside the people and can continue to to minister to them they yeah. also have a, a breakfast area every morning they feed the kids before school and pack lunches for them so it's really a, a, a neat ministry they do a lot and here's what i'd say if you can easily write a check to send your your family to go maybe what you would do is you'd give another uh, a, a commitment to help send another family because that's what our hope offering should do is what we want to say to everybody. Hey, if you've got a heart to go, would you maybe help send somebody else? Because we will bump into people that say, I'd love to go, but I just don't have, I can't take off the time off of work and lose the pay there. Plus I have to pay for this trip, but I do have a heart for it. What we want to say with the hope offering is, then let's go bring hope to those who need it the most. 
And that's the way it's always worked from the very beginning when Jesus commissioned his disciples to go make disciples to all nations. It's to share and show the love of Jesus Christ. This is an easy way we can pack up in the car, drive down a few hours, and, and really show the love of Jesus Christ. And not just build a house, but connect a family to a ministry that's going to have long-term care and connection with that. So, um, will you guys thank Steve for being a part of this this morning? And uh, most of all, thank you, Steve, for doing that. So I'm going to pray for him right now. He and his wife are serving as team leaders. And if you would like to connect with Steve today or anytime uh, through, through the uh, next few weeks to talk about that mission trip, we're going to have an info meeting on that. And uh, my wife's going to be a part of that as well, and Priscilla. Um, so I want to encourage you to connect with uh, Steve. He is a uh, minister on our campus, helps help, uh, organize and serve our, our, not only our campus, but uh, has a heart for our community and the world around uh, us. So let me pray for him. Lord, thank you for Steve. Thank you for his wife, Priscilla, and the 20-year track record of showing the love of Jesus Christ to those who need hope the most. Lord, we pray for our church. Might an army raise up today and begin to go out not only uh, in our community, but around the world to show the love of Jesus Christ. We love you and we thank you for him. We thank you for his family. We thank you for the team that is going to be going ahead of time. The young boys and the young girls and even the little kids, the moms and the dads and the singles, Lord. And we pray right now that you would divinely appoint incredible ministry opportunities for us to do this for years to come. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Let's thank him one more time. All right. Well, here's what we're going to do this morning. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it up in 1 Peter's, where we're going to be. Uh, we've been in a series called Overcome. And this morning, what I want to do is I want to draw your attention to the title. It's Living with the End in Mind. One of the most important things you can do as a Christian is you need to understand how it all started and how it all ends. In order for you to understand that, I want to frame out for you a biblical worldview. Most Christians don't have a biblical worldview. They don't understand. How did it all start? How did the Lord create everything? What did he do? So let me start from the beginning to the end. The Bible says in Genesis chapter uh, 1 through 3 that we have a creation. And when you look at your Bible in Genesis 1 through 3, it's the storyline of how God created the whole world. When you go to the Grand Canyon and you see this massive, beautiful canyon, or when you go to Sedona, you see that beautiful sunset. The Bible says that the Lord spoke it into existence, that he created it. And uh, then the Bible says that he created man, he created woman in his image, equal in value, different in role, and there was harmony. There was harmony, yes, even in a, in a marriage relationship, there was good harmony. There was harmony with the plants, harmony with the animals. There was perfect harmony. Then the Bible says is that Adam and Eve, they rebelled against God's plan and sin entered the world, and that's called the fall. So when you look around and you see the tragedy, you see the suffering, you see all the hardship that you're seeing in the world is not as it ought to be, you can understand theologically, biblically, that's called the fall. Sin entered the world and it spread throughout the whole world like a virus, corrupting, breaking, damaging, destroying. So when you hear from maybe those that are not Christians, man, the world is terrible, it's wrecked, it's bad, you can say, yes, that's a result of the fall. But the Christian has hope 
The world has hope. There is a rescue. Jesus Christ is our rescue. The Bible says, the Apostle Paul said, um, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. That's why he came. So we have a divine rescue plan upon our world. That plan and that person is Jesus Christ. And he is our rescuer. But how does it end? How, how does the world end? There is a promise that Jesus said, I'm not only going to rescue, but I am going to restore. I'll restore the whole world. Uh, I, I, he will serve. The Bible says that Jesus will come back to the earth, that he will be called the King of kings, the Lord of lords, that every tongue will confess, that every single knee will bow before Jesus as the king. Some will bow willingly and some will not bow willingly. But he will restore all things. It'll be like this harmony. I envision Phoenix like finding its fullest beauty. Where I come from, there's green everywhere. In Phoenix, you see it's brown everywhere. I believe that when you see the restoration of the world to come, it'll be a brand new earth, brand new restoration process. Revelation talks about that. There'll be no more crying, no more suffering. There'll be a whole renewed world. So how do we start with the end in mind? The Apostle Peter wants us to understand that the end of all things is at hand. What he says, and, and you can see in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 is where we'll start. He says that the end of all things is at hand. Does he mean like it's going to happen tomorrow? Does he mean that he knows exactly the date and the time when Jesus is going to return and restore all things? No. What, what he means is, is the big things have taken place. He created the world. The fall has happened. The rescue plan has already gone into place. Jesus Christ came to earth to save sinners. He's doing that but we're awaiting that restoration. This is Christian hope. You and I can have hope because we know that the world will be restored. He says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. One of the things that you need to understand is that while he does say the end of all things is at hand, he doesn't give a time or a date or there's not a special event. He just says it's we're at that place. Many of you might remember Y2K. Raise your hand if you remember Y2K. Uh, some people thought it was the whole end of the world. Um, I, I've told you stories before where I had friends that moved up to the hills, dug bunkers, and said it's the end. I, uh, you might have seen recently in Phoenix News, there was even when we had the blood moons. You, you saw the, 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 the skies and the stars and the moon turned color, and people thought, oh, it's the end of the world. Or what's even more comical is every time during pres presidential election season, people say, oh, there's the Antichrist. He's the Antichrist. If he takes office, we're moving to Jamaica. My friends and family that said that, they're still in the United States of America. Uh, and it's happened year after year. Democrats, Republicans, it doesn't matter. There's this desire to know. You've seen prophets or people that proclaim themselves as prophets say, the end of the world is coming. This is the date. This is the time. Well, here's what the Apostle Peter wants us to know when it comes to understanding end times. He says this in his second letter. He says in verse, chapter 3, verse 8, he says, But do not overlook this one fact. This is a fact. He says, Beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is a one day. In other words, like God's time and our time are totally different. They're not the same. We can't measure time like God measures time. 
And some people would say, well, Lord, when are you going to return? Why don't you hurry up? Look what the Apostle Peter says in verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The Lord is waiting to return because he wants more people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, it's all the more important as a church, as a Christian, that we reach out to share and show the love of Jesus Christ now, at this time in our life. Continuing on, maybe some of you have said, well, I've heard of people predicting timelines and saying God's going to return at this time or that. Well, look back to your Bibles. Mark chapter 13, Jesus says this. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. So that's the reality, folks. We don't know when the Lord's going to return. We don't know how long we have in this world. We don't know how long we're going to live. We can't control those things. So how do you live with the end in mind? First thing I want to encourage you to do is to communicate to God through prayer. If you're really going to live with the end in mind, you need to realize that your communication with God is crucially important. When I'm going through a hard time with my spouse, a difficult time, or with anybody, what's really crucial in conflict or challenge is to communicate. When it comes to a relationship with God, why would we not communicate more when we're going through a hard time? The believers that the Apostle Peter is writing to are dispersed believers throughout the Roman Empire that are suffering under some persecution. In just a few years, the Apostle Peter will die a martyr's death, crucified upside down in Rome. In just a few years, on the same year, 67 AD, the Apostle Paul will be beheaded in Rome. Persecution is not systematic at this point in time when the Apostle Peter is writing, but it is sporadic and it's increasing. A gentleman by the name of Nero, who doesn't deserve to be called a gentleman, uh, is an individual who's taking power and is uh, going to implement systematic persecution. And the Apostle Peter says, communicate. He talks about the importance of prayer. He says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Let me give you three secrets to prayer. Prayer is a conversation with God. You just talk to God. Tell Him what's going on in your life. You don't know how many days you have to live. You don't know when the Lord's going to return. But we need to live with an end-time level of thinking and living. Constantly talk to the Lord. If I knew... If, 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 I, if I knew all the things that were going on in my life or the things that could happen, it would freak me out. And, and uh, you know, the reality is, is that we're told right now by the Apostle Peter, the end of all things is at hand. He's challenging with a sense of urgency that we've got to wake up. We've got to be alert. Jesus said, be awake, be on guard. There's a sense of urgency we need to have more conversations and communication with our Heavenly Father. Secondly, it's connection. When you pray, you're connecting. You're not just, you're connecting to a person. You're not connecting to some force, as in some religions would have it. You're connecting with a person. That person is Jesus Christ. It's not only to be a connection, it's to be continual. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, the scripture says, pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean that you have to pray around the clock. It just means that you need to pray continually. That you're constantly in prayer. 
Secondly, if we're gonna live with the end in mind, it's important that we understand the importance of love. I wanna challenge you to love like it's your last. Love like it's your last day. Love like you don't know if you're gonna always have those opportunities. The Apostle Peter writes, and he says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. He says, it's above all, meaning this is the most important, that you love one another. Jesus said that if we were to love others, that's the, that would prove that we're Christians. In John chapter 13, he talks about that. He says, the whole world will know that you're my disciples by the way you love one another. But notice what the scripture says. It says, above all, uh, keep loving one another earnestly. That means deeply. For the love covers a multitude of sins. Love does not cleanse us from sin or cleanse your friend from sin or your spouse from sin or your child from sin, but it does cover it. It, 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 it is in, the, uh, in Proverbs, it talks about um, when we love one another, it covers an offense, Proverbs 10, 12. So what would be some important phrases to demonstrate your love for one another? There are three phrases that I like to use at my household very often. The first is the simple words of I love you. If you've not been told that you were loved by a father, you have a father wound. If you've not been told that you are loved by your mother, you have a mother wound. What we have to do as, a, as Christians and people is constantly affirm what we believe inside and say it with our mouths. Your kids, your friends, your family need to know verbally that you love them. The most powerful words you can say are, I love you. Secondly, especially with kids and families, is you say, I'm proud of you. To love each other deeply is that you show your honor, your esteem, your care for, and that you're proud. As a kid, from time to time, I'll have, see my kids doing an activity if it's playing a musical instrument, if it's riding a bike or whatever it may be, sometimes my kids will ride past on a bike and they'll ride by and they'll say, hey, dad. And they're looking back over their shoulder. Did you see me? Did you see me? I'm like, look ahead. I did see you. Don't, don't look back. And then they like this phrase right here, you're good at. And then you fill in the blank. Hey, you're really good at riding that bike. Hey, maybe to an employee. Hey, you're really good at organizational leadership. Hey, you're really good with customer service. Recently, I heard a story of a gentleman in our church who leads a neighborhood group and also leads a department within his business. And he said to me, um, man, I've been taking some active steps to show my love to the people around me. I said, well, tell me about it. He said, in my neighborhood group, I started sending text messages and Bible verses to the members in my group. And it, and it made them feel incredibly loved. And they came back to me and said, this is the most loving group I've ever been a part of. Um, you know, churches today, the number one thing that people want to know oftentimes from, from their pastors, do you love me? So I'm going to tell you right now, church, I love you. I love you greatly. What you need to understand is the power of loving others. Jesus said the whole world would know that you're a disciple. Saying, you know, additionally, this, this individual I was telling you about in his workplace, he started encouraging and affirming his employees. Hey, you're doing a really good job in the area of customer service. I'm proud of you. You're good at relating to people. You're really good at processing those invoices. And it's revolutionized the work environment. What I'm telling you is you got to love like it's your last. Peter says it's above all. That's the most important thing you can do. 
Jesus said the greatest commandments, love God, love neighbor. What ties it together? Love. Here we go. What else? Number three, we're going to see the importance of living with the end in mind. We've got to believe and understand that we're made for community and called to hospitality. The apostle Peter writes this. He says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. That means don't complain. Well, I want to help you to avoid the guilt gene just for a moment and to learn your limits. Not everybody can do hospitality super well. I understand. Um, the Apostle Peter says, you know, we, or the Apostle Paul says in the church in Corinth, he says, if you're single, basically you've got more bandwidth for ministry and connecting with people. But if you're married, then you are obligated to your spouse and it will change your limits of ministry, if you will. What you need to understand is hospitality is still a call that we've got to do that. Some of you walk around guilty, feeling like, man, I don't do enough. I'm never good enough. I, I got a big family. I could, how could I ever open up my home? Well, just learn your limits. Have the conversation. Um, secondly, I want to encourage you, though, is that think less of formality equals more hospitality. You know, when I walk into somebody's house and they invite me over to see their home and to see their family, I don't walk in and the first thing I look at is the baseboards. Oh, your baseboards are dirty. <laughs> I don't care about that. Um, when I'm going through a hard time and somebody welcomes me in or I go back home and my family, I grew up in a family that was very hospitable. Um, nobody cares that the laundry basket's over there. Here, here's what I want to encourage you to say. Now, if it's a bunch of underwear, maybe you might put that up. But you know what I'm saying? Like, we've got we to say stuff like, who cares? People matter more than anything. Um, we live in a culture where community is not as cool as it once was. Where you've got a lot of friends on Facebook, but you have very few friends in reality. We live in a culture where we've got dogs as our best friend and we binge on Netflix, and that's how we deal with isolation. And we wonder why we have more antidepressant prescriptions than ever before in American history. So let me just give you some research on community gatherings and friendship. Did you know that playing cards used to be really fun, but it's down 25%. Bowling, going bowling, that was, I, I like that. Uh, down 40%. Having friends over is down 45%. Full service restaurants, they're down 40%. Fast food restaurants, they are up 100%. We drive through the car, get our food. No, we don't have time to talk to people face to face, but we can text and drive and, and eat our fast food really quick. And we wonder why we're discouraged. Continuing on, just some of the research that we see is family dinners are down 33%. People as families aren't connecting. One of the worst things you can do, I'm going to challenge you parents for a moment, is to give your kids one of these and then just not have any boundaries on them. They go to the room, every single kid in the household's got one of these and they're glued. And when you try to take a kid off of electronics, you think you're exercising a demon out of the child. I mean, we have to give warnings. Okay, you have five minutes left on your electronics. And if we could have a clock that just did a big countdown, you know, that would be helpful. My encouragement to you guys as a church is to show more hospitality, though. Think less formality equals more hospitality. And here's the deal. You need to take the initiative. You're feeling discouraged. You're feeling disconnected. Then you take the initiative. 
If you're single, be involved in everything you possibly can. Don't think that you're crushing it if you're, you're, you're cranking through uh, the Netflix series. I mean, sure, I'm not opposed to that. What I'm saying is you need people is what you need. Take the initiative. Reach out to somebody else. If you want to serve, we can help get you down to uh, a homeless community to serve the poor in, on a weekly basis. If you need, want to get involved in the church and you want to get involved with more relationships, then take that extra step. As a church, we've got to understand we're made for community and called to hospitality. Fourthly, I want to encourage you and challenge you that we're called to serve one another. And to serve one another, we can rely on God's strength. Here's what the Apostle Peter says. As each one has received a gift, use it. Just use it. Whatever you're gifted at, use that. Look what he says. To serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Here's the point. Here's the reality. We've all got room to grow. We've all got room to improve. And so all we need to do as a church is we need to take that next step. We need to take that next step and see where we can make a difference to serve. Um, maybe at this church you've never served before. Here's what I need you to know. It will help you. It will bless you. Jesus said this. It is more blessed to give than it is to what? To receive. So meaning there's a greater blessing on your life as you're giving away your time, your talent, your treasure. It, it, the Bible says in Proverbs that whoever refreshes somebody, himself gets refreshed. So it is literally, I call it extraordinary kind of living. When you live in the faith zone, you, you begin to realize, I don't have any energy, but the energy I had that day seemed to be extraordinary. God supplied when I didn't have enough. Um, the Apostle Paul said it like this, when I am weak, then he is strong. There is something divine. There is something supernatural. There is something extraordinary about living with the end in mind when we realize we can serve one another and rely on God's strength for our supply. And that supply is, is, has no ends to it. It's an endless reservoir of God's grace and God's mercy. Some of you have a speaking gift. You can communicate. The Bible says, preach the word, teach. Some of you are teachers in schools, teach. You need to be teaching in the church. Those of you that have a serving gift, serve, unleash it. What's gonna hold this church back is if people come and say, I'll be a part of that church, I attend. Don't just attend, gather. Gather others to hear about who Jesus is. Don't just gather, but take that next step to grow in your faith, to explore your gifts, to explore your talents, to explore that and say, I want to unleash this through the church for the glory in the story of Jesus. Taking the next step is important. You say, well, how do I start? Where do I start? I just say, look for a real need in the church and the community. Um, we have needs within your guest service team. We have needs on this campus. It's all volunteers. We need skilled traders to help offset costs for building this place out. We've been on campus a year and a half. The church is six years old. Most churches in America don't have this opportunity. We do. Why? Because I think God cares about the North Valley more than you and I do, meaning all those people. 
Why? Because he chooses to use a church to reach a community for Jesus Christ. So I say to you is maybe you just look for a real need in the church. You walk around and you're like, dude, that's, that's a lame looking. That, that needs to get fixed. You just signed yourself up. You're, you're it. You're, that was the divine spark to notice the problem to become a part of the solution. Take that as the Holy Spirit. You got a critical eye. Let it be sanctified and work at it. <laughs> let it be sanctified and work at it. Um, this is your church. I die. I'm gone. This church shall go on. Why? Because it's your church. It's our church. It's the Lord's church. But it's not about the pastor. It's about the power of the Holy Spirit of Christ in you throughout this church in this valley. God wants to use you in your workplace. He wants to use you here. This is your home. This isn't just a building. It's the church family we are. And we're to love one another, care for one another, show hospitality. And that word hospitality is not just for believers, but it's for strangers too. So even today, I'm going to give you the chance to exercise that hospitality after service. I want you to connect with somebody that's new that you hadn't seen before and just say, hey, how long have you been coming? I'm glad you're here. If you're single, you're discouraged, you're depressed, you want to get prayed for, I'll be right over there. I'll pray for you. If you, if you, if you see somebody single sitting alone, make it a decision. I'm going to be that guy. I'm going to be that gal that goes around and sits right beside them and says, hey, you're new or how long you been here? Sometimes don't say that. Are you new? Because this is what happens. Sometimes you say, hey, are you new? And they're like, no, I've been here seven months. And you're like, oh, I'm sorry. Glad you're here. Here's what I encourage you. We've all got room to improve, so let's take our next step. Meet a real need in the church and the community. Let me say this. For the community, we need to mobilize entire teams of men and women and young people to go into the communities, and if they find a need, they meet that need. Say you got a neighbor next door, and she's an elderly widow, and her washer breaks, her dryer breaks, the house gets flooded, the dishwasher floods, she's in trouble. She's got no surplus of income coming in, you see that need, you go, hey, 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 I belong to a church that cares about these kinds of things. Would you be okay if we send a cares team over to fix this stuff? And she says, sure, I would like that, but I don't have any money to fix it. And then you say, no, 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 no. We have this thing called the hope offering. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to get, I'm going to see that we can get your needs met. We're going to pay for it as a church and we're going to come over and do it for you. That would change things. Now all of you have a responsibility to identify the needs in the community and then you help mobilize the church to show and to share the love of Jesus, amen? We can do this together, guys. We can't do it alone. So we can assess and adjust as we go. That's what we're gonna do. We just assess and adjust, but don't be simply a spectator. Get in the game. Help share and show the love of Jesus Christ locally and globally. Here's the take-home truth. Living with the end in mind results in God's glory. It's what the Apostle Peter said. At the end of the day, if you're living with the end in mind, here's what he says. It's in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Any church can be great if they commit themselves to the great commandments, loving God, loving neighbor, and the great commission going and making disciples of all nations. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege to be a part of this church in this community in this age. And we pray for unprecedented amounts 
of ministry and missions to unfold in 2019 that we've never seen before because we took a faith step and we found out that you supplied our strength and blessed it. And, and Lord, today we pray that your church would move forward in the name and for the fame of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.